Well, this morning, what I want to do is, uh, once again, uh, bring your attention to this passage of Scripture. Uh, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 1, verses 28, um, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, and we're going to deal with this passage of Scripture in what I believe is really where the focus is given to us by way of the writing of, uh, of uh, Mark. And what Mark is doing in this passage of Scripture, obviously he is bringing us in contact with the conflict that we see in this synagogue. He's bringing us into contact with uh, uh, the, the great display of uh, divine power that our Lord Jesus Christ exerts. But really what Mark is doing in this passage of Scripture, he is showing to us once again the authority of Jesus Christ as the Son of God able to save sinners. This is something that uh, Mark is really focused on in this first chapter. And in one sense, this is what this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark has, all, has been all about. You remember in verse 1 of Mark 1, the, the, beginning of, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It was a declaration that the Son of God has now come to save sinners. You remember again how that, uh, how that um, uh, we saw in, the, uh, in this first chapter uh, where, the, where the Holy Spirit himself descended from heaven at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, anointing him, for, anointing him with power, anointing him to the work that he had to do. It was a great, again, event whereby Jesus Christ was empowered to do the work that he was sent to do. You remember again the words uh, that came from heaven by way of the Father. This is my beloved Son. All these things are showing to us the authority that Christ was vested with in order to bring about the work of redemption. And what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage of Scripture. While there are many uh, sub-points, I might say, in this passage that would deserve our attention at this passage of Scripture, we can go into what it means for the Lord Jesus Christ to exercise authority in delivering uh, souls that are oppressed by devils. We can develop that. We'll touch upon that a little bit. That would be a, a worthy study in and of itself. You know, we could take a look at the, uh, at, the, at the preaching ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the way that he preaches. He preaches with authority. He preaches doctrinally. We'll, we'll consider some of these things. But what I want you to see overall is essentially this. In this passage of Scripture, we we have a display of Jesus Christ as the Son of God coming to save sinners. In one sense, that's the doctrine of the text, that Jesus Christ has come in power with authority to save sinners. And why is that important to you and me? Because I want you to understand in the reality of your salvation with all of its ups and downs and all the conflicts that you and I experience and, and all the weaknesses that we see ourselves a, a burden with, you need to understand that the divine Son of God has come with authority to save you. And that your salvation does not rest merely on your ability to stake the quote unquote stay saved. You are in the hand, you are in the hands of an almighty Savior. One, again, anointed with the power of heaven. One again coming with the with the approval of God the Father. One who exhibits himself as being able to do everything that he said he would be able to do. And so in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see uh, this pitiable man in the synagogue uh, oppressed with, uh, with a demon and the, and the Lord Jesus Christ speaking the word of authority, delivering this man. Oh, you see, he has come to set the captive free. This is what he has done then and this is what he's doing now. Those who are oppressed, with, with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, those who are oppressed by the devil and with sins of every sort, Jesus Christ comes with authority to set free. And so because of this, again, I, I, bring this, I bring your attention to this passage of Scripture with a certain amount of joy. I want you to see Jesus Christ delivering His people. I want you to see Jesus Christ delivering you. I want you to see, no matter what your conflicts are, no matter what your trials are, no matter how difficult the Christian life seems to be, it is Jesus Christ as the divine Savior come to save you. 
This is your Christ here this morning, if I can say it that way. And so may we, again, see in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ and all of his authority to save. What we're going to do this morning, uh, by way of an outline, again, the, uh, the primary point that we're making here, our doctrine, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come with divine authority to deliver men and women from the power of the devil and from sin itself. Again, there, that's our primary doctrine. And what I want to do is I want to work this doctrine through from the passage of Scripture along the following outline. Number one, I want to take a look at the idea of authority in general. You know, this is a very significant theme uh, in, the, in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the idea of authority. Jesus Christ comes vested with authority. And we're going to see when we open up this idea of authority, what authority is. We're also going to see how that the Lord Jesus Christ possesses a twofold authority. He possesses an authority that is innate, that, that is innate to himself. It's inherent to his own divine nature. He comes as the second person of the Trinity with the power of God. We're going to see that there is a second uh, uh, sense in which he has authority. And that authority is a commissioned authority. He comes as the Messiah. And when the Spirit of God, as I said before, descends upon him at the baptism, that is the true anointing with power to do the work of Messiah. We'll take a look at these things. We're going to see that our Lord, again, not only has this authority, we'll consider, as I said, authority in general. We're going to see the second and third points as follows. We're going to see that Jesus Christ was that man who was in, who was vested with authority in his words. He preached with authority. Remember, this is what the text says. He doesn't teach like the scribes, but one with authority. We're going to see that he was authoritative in word, but we're also going to see that he was authoritative in deed. Here he was again exhibiting divine power over the forces of darkness. There was nothing that hell could do to stop the, the, the breaking in and the, and, and, and the going forth of the kingdom of God. This is your Savior. And so what I want to do is I want to show to you the Lord Jesus Christ vested with authority, the authority of the word and, the author, and, and authority indeed. Well, with all this in mind, let's then take a look at our passage of Scripture. And, of course, we'll begin here at verse 21. And notice what, I'm sorry, what I want to do as we begin, I apologize. What I want to do as we begin is I want to take a look at the idea of authority in general. And the reason why we were picking up on this theme of authority, because as I said before, I'm convinced that really when you look at this passage of Scripture, verses 21 and 28, there's really an emphasis on this idea of authority. We see it there in verse 20, uh, verse 22. He was uh, preaching with authority. Uh, we see it here later on in, in the text as well about this recognition of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is authority? Well, in our English uh, conception of the word, what the word authority means is essentially this, that authority is the power or the right to enforce obedience. Now, you may not have thought about uh, authority in that regard. But authority, again, as we use it in the English sense of the word, is once again the power or the right to enforce obedience. It is it refers to either a moral or legal supremacy and the right to command or to give ultimate decision. And again, this is what we understand by way of this word authority. Now, the Greek sense of the word is very similar to it. Uh, the Greek sense of the word, again, has this idea of authority either inherent in an individual such as God himself or derived from God, such as uh, maybe a prophet of old or, or the scripture itself having this authority from God. Now, the idea of authority, as I said, in the Gospel of Mark is fairly significant. Uh, the idea of authority or the word authority is found seven times uh, in the Gospel itself. 
Now, what I want you to see about this authority as we introduce uh, the concept of authority, I want you to see, as I said before, two things. Number one, I want you to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ possesses innately or inherently a divine authority that is commensurate with his being the eternal son of God. This Lord Jesus Christ, the one who the scriptures tell us in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. This one who John says in the first verse of his gospel that, excuse me, excuse me, that the word of God, that, that, that uh, the word of God is God Himself. This one who Paul tells us in Romans chapter nine verse five is God over all. He has an authority in and of Himself. Paul refers to Him as the Lord of Glory. James refers to Him the same in the same way, the Lord of Glory. So as the Lord of Glory, Jesus Christ has an authority in and of Himself inherent to His nature. But also what we see is that our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, possesses an authority that is by way of commission from the Father. So that Jesus of Nazareth is now commissioned to do the work that the Father called him to do. It is a, an authority that is derived by way of the Spirit of God upon him for the commissioning and for the doing of the work that he was called to do. And so this authority and the Lord Jesus Christ on one hand is inherent in his nature, but in another sense it is that which he has by way of his commission as the Messiah. Now, it's interesting because when we consider uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and this twofold authority, on the one hand, the authority that he has as being the commissioned Messiah, the authority that he has as one that was anointed by the Spirit of God is an authority that comes to us and our response to that is that Jesus Christ should be followed and obeyed and and obeyed. He is, again, the Messiah of God. He is the Christ of God. His voice should be obeyed in this world today. And so that's by way of the authority that he has in his commission. But by way of the authority that he has by way of his own inherent power, that authority causes us to worship and adore him. I ask you the question, have you recognized Jesus Christ with this authority? The authority in his voice to obey, to do all that he calls you to do as the Messiah of God. The authority in his voice as the Son of God. Again, who is to be worshipped and adored? And so Jesus Christ comes to us vested with authority. This idea then of authority is very, very important, not only as we get into this passage of Scripture, but it is an authority that is important as we see it regarding our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, this is very interesting because one of the things that we see about our Lord Jesus Christ as we consider him uh, when we begin to uh, put together all the biblical testimony concerning Christ. This is the thing that comes out over and over again. Whatever we understand about the person of Jesus of Nazareth as a historical figure, we know and we understand as well that he is, as I said before, he is the Son of God, come into the world to save sinners. And while he comes as the Son of God, we as the church of Jesus Christ and we as the bride of Christ ought always to recognize this essential authority and this essential glory that he has. He is to be worshipped for that. He is to be adored for that. And you see again as he comes to us now as this one on the pages of scripture calling sinners to himself as the Messiah. Oh, how we ought to follow the words and the authority of this Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so here is again, as I said before, this just this general uh, introduction to uh, the idea of Jesus Christ uh, having this authority, inherent authority uh, in his divine nature, this uh, this commissioned authority uh, by way of the mission that the father has given him to do. Well, this brings us now to our text, and let's take a look here at verse 21. First, we will see, and this is the second point in our outline, we will see the Lord Jesus Christ, his authority in word. Our Lord Jesus Christ's words were authoritative, and we'll see this here in the passage before us. And again, verse 21 and following, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And we'll, start, and we'll go on to verse 22. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Well, let's take a look here at, this, uh, at these two verses and, and consider this within the context of our Lord's authority in word. It's kind of interesting when we see Jesus Christ coming into the synagogue, a number of things uh, kind of come to our attention. A lot of these things could be developed more fully, uh, but we're not going to develop them uh, to any great extent today. We'll touch upon that. But the first thing I want you to be aware of is this. When our Lord Jesus Christ comes into the synagogue on this Sabbath day, what I want you to be aware of is that he is by way of design fulfilling his heavenly commission that he had received from his father. And we see this heavenly commission on the pages of Scripture in Luke chapter 14, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I want you to see here that when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to the synagogue on this day, we will see him preaching the gospel, we will see him delivering the captive. He is fulfilling his messianic function here. And it's very interesting to see this. He comes again into the synagogue, as I said before, not just in a haphazard way. He comes on the day of worship to the place of worship to do that which the Father had commissioned him to do, to preach the gospel, to set at liberty the captives. Aren't you glad that this is what Jesus Christ has done? He makes the gospel known. He, He shows the power of the gospel. He delivers those who were bound in sin. And so the Lord Jesus Christ then comes into the synagogue. Well, the other thing that we're going to see here as we work through the Gospel of Mark is that the synagogue is going to be a very, uh, 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 a very uh, important uh, uh, place within the Gospel. We're going to see our Lord Jesus Christ in and out of the synagogue in a number of times here in the Scripture. And one of the things that we should be aware of when it comes to the synagogue is, is essentially this, that the synagogue, synagogues were places of worship in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of interesting because at, the time, at this time, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing. And in one sense, the temple in Jerusalem was the, the sanctuary, we might say, where, where, where sacrifices were offered. But in and, in and through the, the land of Israel, there were, there were synagogues. And a synagogue was, would, be, uh, would be permitted to be set up whenever there were at least uh, 10 uh, Jewish males above the age of 13. And in the place of the synagogue, what would happen, in one sense, is what we see happening here. It would be a place where the scriptures were read. It would be a place where an exposition of the scriptures would be given. It would be a place where prayer was offered up. So the synagogue, while it did not contain a sanctuary or while it did not uh, allow for any offering of sacrifices, would be a place where God was worshipped. He was worshipped in the exposition of his word, the reading of his word, and the offering of prayers. And on this particular Sabbath, the Lord Jesus Christ comes into the synagogue. 
And what we see him doing again, it, and it, I'm, I'm very much uh, captivated by this because we see our Lord Jesus Christ as a preacher. And I think this is one of the, again, I don't want to major on a minor here, but I think this is one of the things that I love to see over and over again in the Word of God is Jesus Christ as a preacher. What a preacher Jesus Christ was. What a, what, a, what, a, what a man he was by way of his setting forth of the truth of God, uh, how, he dis, how he explained these things, how he displayed the power of God in the very word of God itself. And so what we see here in this passage of Scripture is the, 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 the way that Jesus Christ was preaching. Notice again here, they went into the, he went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Well, what I want you to see here are a number of things about a number of things about the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ's teaching. The nature of his teaching. And we see this in a number of points here in verse 22, especially. Number one, what I want you to see is this: is that his the nature of his teaching was first of, was first of all what we would call doctrinal. Did you notice what it says here? They were, they were amazed or they were astonished at his doctrine. And what I want you to see is that the Lord Jesus Christ was a doctrinal preacher. Now, I have to be careful here because what I do not mean by this, and I don't think that the text is trying to convey this, I do not mean that Jesus was a theological lecturer. I don't mean that. I don't think that Jesus Christ was in the synagogue as a professor of theology. But I think and I know what our Lord Jesus Christ was was this. He was a preacher a proclaimer, a man fully possessed by the Spirit of God, who with all the authority of the anointing of the Spirit upon him, who with all the awareness of his Father saying, this is my beloved Son, who having recently come from the wilderness and having vanquished Satan in the wilderness in the time of temptation, with all of that awareness, that's what gave him in one sense the spiritual authority that he, pre- that he preached with. And when he preached a particular doctrine, or when he preached doctrinally, what he was doing was essentially this. He was bringing the bear in his person, everything by way of the categories that were known in the scripture. So that when the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 15 and 16 was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God was at hand, there was not only just this declaration, but there was everything by way of the authority of his person that he brought to this. He was a doctrinal preacher. He used categories that were known. He said again, you remember in verses 15 and 16, the time is it, the time is fulfilled. Now is the time to repent and believe the gospel. So he used categories that were known and he developed these things and he showed in these things how that he was the fulfillment of them all. Yes, our Lord Jesus Christ was a preacher of doctrine. As I have here in my notes, he preached not as an academic, but as the Messiah with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the approval of the Father, and having the experience of victory over the devil, teaching the word of God with a power that can only come through these things. And so again, I want you to see and understand that our Lord Jesus Christ was a doctrinal preacher, not in the sense of a lecturer, but in the sense of bringing the bear in all the various categories of truth, everything that he is by way of his person. The next thing that we see about his teaching was that it was unparalleled. Uh, did, you, did you notice here what we saw in the passage of Scripture? Uh, he preached his authority and not as the scribes. Now, it's very interesting that uh, when you take a look at the worship of the synagogue at the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, it was not always what we would 
kind of call uh, professional clergymen uh, that would be preaching in the synagogue. Uh, oftentimes, the uh, the ruler of a synagogue would designate a, a particularly godly man or a man of good character to come and to deliver the lesson for the day. But there was also times when the scribes would be teaching, and these scribes would be considered something of experts in the law. But one of the things that we see is a is is, is a difference, a uniqueness about the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see and understand that this uniqueness in our Lord's teaching comes back or revolves back on to the authority that he brings by way of his person. Again, anointed by the Spirit of God, the, the Father's approval upon him, having won these great victories over Satan in the temptation in the wilderness. He has an authority that is inherent to his person. And so again, it's unique. Let me say this about the uniqueness of the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and again, I, you need to hear this. You've never heard a man preach like Jesus. I'm convinced of this. You may, have heard, you may have heard good preaching in your day. And I hope and pray that you have. I hope and I pray that you've been blessed with, with good, to, to, to hear good preaching. And in our day, there are, there are many uh, good preachers that we can, um, that, that we can hear because of, the, because of our, 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 the internet or TV or radio. But no one has ever heard in our day somebody preach like Jesus. And the reason why is because the authority with which he preaches was unique to himself. And this is what made the Lord's uh, uh, preaching unique. It all revolved around the, per the, the power of his authority uh, in his person. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was not only a doctrinal preacher, the Lord Jesus Christ was very unique in his preaching as well. Again, we read in John chapter 7, verse 46, uh, those who were sent to trap Jesus in his words, you remember. And in John chapter 7, verse 46, where they go back and what do they say uh, to those who sent them? Uh, Never a man spake like this. Oh, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Again, it was, it was doctrinal preaching. It was unparalleled preaching. And it was unparalleled, as I said before, in its uniqueness, but it was also unparalleled in its authority. And again, as I said before, the idea of authority is very important here in this Gospel of Mark. It's important in other Gospels as well. And we see the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ in his preaching, not just in that word authority, but also in a phrase that we are familiar with, that phrase where our Lord says repeatedly, but I say unto you. You go to the Gospel of Matthew, and I believe it's 12 times where the Lord Jesus Christ uses that phrase, but I say unto you. It was a statement of his authority. It was a statement that he now was saying, whatever was, whatever was understood in that time, now Jesus Christ is making a particular emphasis, but I say unto you. And again, this shows, again, as I said before, the uniqueness of his teaching by way of its authority. Twelve times in Matthew, he says, but I say unto you. Six times it's found in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord Jesus Christ says in a public way, but I say unto you, you have heard it said of them of old, but I say unto you. You see the, the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only, was it unparalleled, not only was it unparalleled in its uniqueness or its authority, it was also unparalleled in its effects. We see this when, when we read here in the passage of Scripture in verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished at his doctrine. This is an amazing word, this word astonished. Uh, I think sometimes we, we use it and we don't fully understand the, the weight of it. Uh, the word in one sense means to be, uh, to, 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 be, to be blown over, if I can say it that way. Listen to some of the, listen to some of the definitions that attend, or some of the meanings that attend this word uh, to be astonished. It means to stun, to stupefy. Uh, one uh, lexicon puts it like this. They were astounded or they were being knocked out with astonishment. 
And the idea here is this. There was an authority in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that truly was remarkable. And more than remarkable, we might say. There was a sense in which when they heard what Jesus was saying, it was, to use our term, it was jaw-dropping. They couldn't believe the words that were coming from our Lord Jesus Christ. What authority he taught with, what doctrine he taught with, what uniqueness he taught with. You see, here was the Lord Jesus Christ, again, commissioned to do this very thing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel and to deliver as well. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, mighty both in word and in deed. Well, the next thing uh, that we see about our Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, concerning his preaching is that not only uh, do we see its uniqueness in its, uh, in its uh, I'm sorry, not only do we see how that it was unparalleled in its uniqueness, its authority, and its effects, one more thing we see about his uh, preaching, and that was that it aroused opposition. It aroused opposition. This is very interesting to consider, isn't it? And we see the opposition coming from this, as I said before, this pitiable man, this demoniac, who is, again, in the grips of demonic power, and who, upon hearing the preaching of Jesus Christ, is stirred within him to to, to voice some form of opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is this, is that this preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ aroused opposition from this demoniac. Now this in one sense, even before we get into uh, the exhibition of power or the exhibition of authority by way of deed, we're still kind of focusing on the authority of his words. We have to consider this demoniac. How was it that this man found himself in a synagogue? How was it that this man was undiscovered, if we can say it that way, in a synagogue? What was it about this man and his life that was going on that here he was uh, in this synagogue and here he was unnoticed, undiscovered, and now, there he was uh, maybe for years uh, being able to sit there without having any, uh, any kind of arousal by way of opposition. But there was something again about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ by way of their authority, by way of their penetrating ability, by way of their, by way of their ability to discover and to unarm the forces of evil. And so this man, as I said before, this pitiable man, and you understand why I'm saying that here in a few minutes, this pitiable man speaks up at this time. And what does he say? Look here in verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Well, what I want to do here is now I want to now, uh, I want to now uh, move from the authority of Christ in his words to the authority of Christ in his deeds. This is something that we see in the scripture over and over again. How that Christ was mighty both in word and in deed. How that the Lord Jesus Christ began to do and to teach. You see this idea, they come together. Jesus Christ was not just one who was authoritative in word, he was authoritative in deed as well. And again, this is the thing that we see. Jesus Christ has come to perform the works of salvation on behalf of the people of God. And so now we consider Jesus Christ and his authority in his deeds or in his works Well, this was an authority that the demons recognized. This was something, again, as I said before, his preaching aroused opposition. And now the demons began to, this this demoniac began to recognize the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ possessed. And this is why he speaks up at this time. And this is why he cries out. And notice again what we have here by way of the description of this man. In verse 23, and there, was in, uh, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now this, again, this is why I said this man is a very pitiable man. 
because the way this is written in the uh, in, in the original language kind of goes along this way. There was a man who was in an unclean spirit. Now that almost sounds strange to be in an unclean spirit, and we it, it almost doesn't register in our thinking. Well, what, what would that mean? Well, let me draw a parallel for you to help you to understand this. I'll use a parallel that you will be able to understand. How many times do you and I, as the people of God, speaking about the necessity of being in the Spirit in order to do the things that God has called us to do? And to be in the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. It means to be led by the Spirit of God to fulfill the will, the, the will of God as revealed in, in, in His Word. It means to be under that control and under that uh, power that the Spirit of God gives to do God's bidding, to do God's will. And I hope and I pray that each and every one of us are spirit-filled in that sense. That you and I are in the Spirit. The Spirit of God leading, directing, guiding, moving us to do certain things. Well, here this pitiable man was in an unclean spirit. And in the same idea, leading, guiding, directing. Over and over again, again in the, in the, in the Gospel of Mark, I think again seven or eight times, this reference to an unclean spirit. And the unclean, the, the designation of unclean, has the idea of all the moral filth that goes along with it. This was an unclean spirit. This man was led, empowered to do the things that maybe in one sense he didn't want to do, but he was led to do it by this power. He was in an unclean spirit. What a designation. And you see, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to and preaches the gospel and to set the captive free, this is what he does for those pitiable sinners like you and me. Bound by sin. Maybe not to the degree that this man was, quote unquote, in, this, in an unclean spirit. But you see and you understand that this is the power of God available to sinners everywhere. I don't care what bondage a man or a woman is in by way of their sin. I don't care if it's the grip of Satan himself. Jesus Christ comes with authority to deliver those ones. You see, this is the point that Mark is making in this gospel account. He is setting everything about, He is setting everything in this first chapter to establish the authority of Jesus Christ. He comes, verse 1, again, the Son of God. Again, the declaration of the Father, this is my Son. The Spirit of God descending upon Him. Again, well, uh, 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 anointing Him for, for, for ministry. Everything is designed to show the authority of Jesus Christ. He comes preaching. He calls men with authority. He goes, into, he goes into the wilderness and he defeats Satan with authority. And now again, confronted with evil, what does he do? What does he do? He shows himself mighty in word and in deed. Jesus Christ, the great Savior of sinners. And so this pitiable man in an unclean spirit, under the control and under the impulse of this unclean spirit, Jesus Christ delivers him. And he delivers him by way of an act of power. It's a wonderful thing to see. But let's notice again what we, what we have here in the, in the passage. Let's go back to this. We see, uh, we see the unclean spirit again in, in, uh, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 24. And saying, let us alone. I'm aware that some of your translations may not include this. So I'm going to include this here in our sermon. And saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. I want to just work through this passage of Scripture somewhat slowly here. And firstly, I want you to notice this. In the King James, we have this little phrase, let us alone. Let us alone. Leave me alone in my sin. Leave me alone in my bondage. Leave me alone in the ways that I want to walk. And how many times do we hear sinners today saying the same thing? Leave us alone. Keep your Jesus to yourself. We don't want to hear your gospel. 
We don't want to hear you read the word of God to us. Leave us alone. And is there a parallel there? Oh, you see how sin keeps men in bondage. You see how Satan and, and, and darkness keeps men in, 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 and again, that bondage where, where, they, where they not only can't escape, but they don't want to escape. Oh, what a pitiable condition sinners are in today. When they say to the people of God and to the church of Jesus Christ and to the Spirit of God, leave us alone. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't leave you alone in your sin? Aren't you glad that Jesus called you from a world of sin? Aren't you glad that Jesus displayed a great work of power when he delivered you from your sin? And he continues to display a great work of power in continually de- delivering you from your sin. Oh, thank God for the Savior who will not listen to such nonsense. But here is this man, this pitiable demoniac crying out, leave us alone. Oh, the world cries out the same, you see. But notice what else he says here. Saying, leave us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? This is interesting. What have we to do with thee? And this is something of a colloquialism because the idea here is this, is, is that the demon is recognizing that, that the demon and Jesus have nothing in common one with another. What do you have to do with me? What do I have to do with you? And again, what we're seeing here is just this, 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 this polar opposites uh, by way of the demon himself and by way of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. What have we to do with thee? And now notice the other thing that we see here. Notice how that this, this demon has a particular spiritual insight that many uh, unconverted men in our day do not have. Now this passage of scripture reminds us of another passage. Notice this again, saying, let us alone. What hast thou to do with, uh, what have we to do with thee, uh, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Uh, art thou come to destroy us? You see, here is, a, here is a demon who knew the reality of ultimate judgment. I was reading just, uh, just yesterday and something unrelated to today, but I was reading yesterday and, and, and one man was saying uh, uh, by, way of the, the, by way of the preacher's responsibility is to always set before his hearers the reality of the four last things, uh, the reality of the four last things, and, and, I, and I can only remember three of them right now, but the reality of the four last things, uh, 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 death, uh, death, uh, uh, death, judgment, and hell, and, I, and, and I've and I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the fourth one. Oh, uh, 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 death, judgment, and hell. And this is the reality. You see, this demon knew that there was coming a day of reckoning, a day of ultimate reckoning. And you and I must be aware as well that there is again coming a day when you and I will die, when you and I will stand before a holy God, when you and I will be faced with the reality of what eternity will be. I hope and I pray for each and every one of you here that you have settled those matters through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ comes to you today. Jesus Christ offers himself to you now. And he says there need not be a fear of judgment because Jesus Christ has taken that judgment upon himself on the cross of Jesus Christ. I think you've heard me say this before. You listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, Jesus was forsaken of his Father that you and me will never be forsaken of God. Isn't it a wonderful exchange that took place there on Calvary's cross? And so we thank God for this. And so again, this demon having this awareness that many sinners today are completely blind of and don't want any, and don't want to have any insight into how many just in our day think that death is the end of it. No, it's not the end of it. After death, the judgment. And what will it be for the soul on that day? And so this demoniac, again, uh, this demon having this insight, uh, and again, it reminds us of the passage of Scripture that we read of in James, that the, de- that the demons believe and tremble. You see, even demons have a greater spiritual insight than unconverted men and women do in our day. And this is because they're dead in trespasses and sins. 
You see, unless the Spirit of God opened the heart, but this is a sermon uh, for another time. And so here we have uh, the words of this uh, demon through this demoniac. I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. We see here again in this passage of scripture as we go on, not only uh, this, uh, this, uh, this crying out that the demon has, we also see the response of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look here in verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Now what's very interesting is this, is the, is the, is the, is the way that the Lord Jesus Christ engages this demoniac. And this was, again, gets back to the uniqueness of our Lord's ministry, gets back to the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exorcisms in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ were very common. Again, we read in that passage of Scripture in, in, in Matthew chapter 12 where they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by, by the power of the prince of the demons. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ showed them the absurdity of such a thought. But what was interesting is that in, uh, in, in, in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, these quote-unquote exorcisms would take place by way of a, a particular use of names, by particular incantations, by all kind of things that would go on. And what you see our Lord doing here is engaging in none of those things. But our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of the authority inherent in him as the Son of God, by way of the authority vested in him as the Messiah of God, speaks a word of power to this demoniac and says very bluntly, shut up. Very bluntly, more literally, be muzzled. I think, uh, I think the NIV might say, be quiet here. And the idea here is this, there is no, there's going to be no engagement, there's going to be no interchange taking place here. Jesus Christ and his authority is shutting this down. And not only is he shutting this down, he will deliver this pitiable man. You see, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He has come to set the captive free. And this is what the gospel does. It delivers men and women, boys and girls, from the power of sin. And so Jesus Christ, again, showing this great authority. Now, as I said before, it's very interesting, and I want to be careful. I'm almost hesitant to bring some of these things out, but it's very interesting. As I said before, the Lord Jesus Christ did not engage in any dialogue here. There was no going back and forth. There was no incantation. There was no ritual. It was very simply the authority of Jesus Christ as the one sent of God. And how is it that we confront and how is it that we deal with, with sins of this, of this type or oppression of this type? We speak the name of Jesus. You see, we take our stand on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in the authority of Christ, again, that we stand. It is under the protection of his wings that we rest. And all these things that go on, again, what do we do? We take recourse to our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who in authority has disarmed, has disarmed principalities. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this reason the Son of God was manifested. He might destroy the works of the devil. Stand in the one who destroyed the works of the devil. You don't have to go out fighting the devil. Stand in the one who defeated him. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, again, exhibiting this great authority and this great power. Well, as I said before, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the demoniac, uh, the demon, he recognized the authority of Jesus Christ in the things that he said. But I want you to see another thing here is that the, uh, is that the congregation in the synagogue, 
uh, recognized his authority as well. And notice what we see uh, here. And uh, again, we can say much by way of uh, uh, verses uh, 25 and 26. Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, he cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. Again, much could be said there. In verse 27, the congregation recognizes Jesus' authority. And when they were all amazed, inasmuch as they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? Excuse me, for with authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey. And you see, what new doctrine is this? Here was Jesus not engaging in the whole, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, the whole rigmarole of exorcism. He was declaring authoritatively for the demon to be quiet and get out in the exercise of his authority. And so when the, when the congregation sees this, they see a new thing. They see Jesus again exerting the authority of the Son of God. The authority of the one who was commissioned by God. And they're amazed by this. And again, we come back to this word amazement. Again, they were astonished at his teaching in verse 22. They were amazed at his, at his, at his power, at his deeds. And here in verse 27. And again, it means to be flabbergasted. It's jaw-dropping. It's to be knocked over with amazement. That's what's happening here. And so the Lord Jesus Christ showing this authority. What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commandeth even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So notice what we have here. We have, by way of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, that was recognized by the demon. The congregation recognizes, as I said, they, they respond in amazement. What new thing, what new, uh, thing is this? Uh, they ask this question about concerning Jesus. What, what, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? There, there's a question that's being asked. Again, there's this amazement. There's this testimony. Again, that we see immediately his fame, uh, began, his, his fame spread abroad throughout all the region of Galilee. His authority was recognized. So as I've already repeated, but I'll repeat it again. His authority was recognized by the demoniac. By the demon, his authority was recognized by the congregation. I have one question for you. Do you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ as being able to deliver and to save from the power of sin? Do you recognize the authority of Jesus Christ to take that which is most limiting to you by way of sin and by way of your inability and, and again to completely free you from anything that would hold you back. Do you see in Jesus Christ uh, an authority that is delegated to him by way of the Father to do the work of Messiah and to save sinners? And do you see in Jesus Christ an authority that comes from his own inherent nature as the Son of God who is worthy to be worshipped and adored? You see Jesus Christ and his authority. Oh, my friends, do you see it? Do you recognize it? Well, this authority, you have to understand, is able to free you from any demonic power. It's able to free you from any sin that you and I may be struggling with. Jesus Christ, again, will be victorious. Oh, you see, we look at ourselves and we say, oh, my sin, my sin. Again, I'm plagued with this and I'm plagued with that. I'm plagued with unbelief and I'm plagued with doubt. I'm plagued with this lust and I'm plagued with this. I'm plagued with this. What am I going to do? You're going to look to the one who has authority to, to deliver. And so long as you and I don't fall into that foolish statement of the, of the demon, let us alone. I ask you a question. I've asked you, do you recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? I ask you this. Is there any area in your life where you would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, let us alone? Is there any area in your life where you would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me alone? You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has come with power to save. And that power and that authority is seen in his word. 
who was I talking to? I think it was the men, Charlie and, and Rick, or maybe it was to Barbara in our prayers. Or maybe I was just thinking this in my own mind, forgive me. <laughs> this pulpit is a place where conflict is done, where battle is taken up. It's not in my own power, you know that. It's in the authority of the Word of God and in the authority of the one who was sent with the power of God to deliver all those who all their lifetime were in subjection to the devil. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for his authority. Thank God that the people of God can now say, never let me alone, Jesus, but come, come and deal with me as you see fit. Remove from me every bondage. Remove from me every doubt. Remove from me everything that would keep me from being able to live for you in the fullness of your glory. Oh, my friends, this authority of Jesus Christ. Let not only the demons recognize this. Let not just the congregation in Capernaum recognize this. Let you recognize the authority of Christ to deliver and to save. Let us pray.